Welcome back to our study of the book of Revelation. So glad you could join us, and we hope you'll continue to join us as we look through this very difficult book. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 6 today. Chapter 6 and 7 are where people begin to kind of go off the rails with Revelation. So I want to caution you again to try and look at Revelation and understand it in the way that it's meant to be understood. It was not written to us. It was written for us. We are reading someone else's mail, and that's okay. But for centuries, people have taken Revelation and tried to lay it on top of what, uh, what is going on in their world and apply these, these symbols and numbers and things. But it's important to understand that most people who heard this book, and they would have mostly heard it, very few people would have actually read it. They would have heard it spoken to them or read aloud to them. Most people that heard it would have understood these things in their time and in their place and in their culture because the words and the symbols and the numbers and the descriptions and the idioms and turns of phrase were meant for them so that they would understand something. And so we have to try and understand it the way they understood it and take that application and lay it on top of our world today and understand what we're to do because this is a message about what is coming. This is a message about what is going to happen in the world, specifically to these seven churches in Asia and the pain and the suffering that they've experienced and that they may continue to experience and how they press forward. And the message ultimately is we win. Jesus Christ has won. And the storm is not going to pass. The storm must be endured. But on the other side of that storm, Jesus has already cleared the skies. And so that's how this is described. It is a book full of worship, full of direction to orient ourselves toward Jesus, uh, who is the victor. And in chapter 5, we read about Jesus presenting himself in heaven as uh, a slaughtered lamb. But he alone is the one worthy to break these seven seals, to open these seven scrolls, to reveal what's coming. And that's what we're going to begin looking at in chapter 6. What lies ahead, not for us, but for them. And to understand through the descriptions, and again, God uses words the same way we do, uh, or language. Uh, he, he gives John, the revelator, these images and these words that we can understand. Uh, are the streets really paved with gold? Probably not. But uh, will it look like that? Yes. That's the best way we, as human beings today, can understand it. So get in that frame of mind as we take off here in chapter 6. So remember, we're dealing with the lamb. He's in the throne room of God in heaven, the slaughtered lamb, and he's going to open these scrolls by breaking these seals, and there are going to be things revealed. So let's read. Chapter 6. Then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice of thunder, Come. I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering, <clears throat> excuse me, and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse, went out. And to him who sat on it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another with a great sword, was, uh, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come, I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. 
When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, the name Death, excuse me, I looked, and behold, um, uh, an ashen horse, excuse me, uh, and he who sat on it had the name Death, and Hades was following with him. Authority was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence and by the be wild beasts of the earth. Okay. <laughs> Hope you're having a good day <laughs> because here we are, these four horsemen, these four horses with different colors. Uh, again, this would have been terrifying to hear. This would have been terrifying to read. And these are the scrolls that are going to reveal information about the lives of the people hearing and reading it. And the message is how to survive. How are we going to get through this time? Uh, <clears throat> these things are so terrifying and so hard to hear and so challenging to the mind. Daniel, if you read Daniel, he was given a vision and he fainted. He fell out uh, from what he saw. The angel picks him up and says, we got to move on. We haven't got enough time to lay down on the job. So uh, it's, it, you know, he, he, he reacted to it and, and we've, have a reaction to this when we read it and we hear it. Notice, <clears throat> again, the lamb opens the seals, the only one strong enough and worthy to open the seals. And that's interesting because the lamb, the slaughtered lamb, of all that we've had described to us, is the least likely of these creatures to, to uh, open these seals and be strong enough and worthy enough. Now, they knew it was Jesus, and we know it's Jesus, but, but Jesus puts himself and presents himself in the image of a slaughtered lamb, because Jesus doesn't work the way we work. He fights with grace and love and peace, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. He fights with love. He fights with that grace and peace, um, and, and so that's different. Jesus chose to be seen as the least threatening of the things that we see here. And God always triumphs. You know, Jesus displays his amazing love and, and power uh, in, in service and in forgiveness. And love is winning. In fact, in this world, we can say that love is, is winning. Um, if you look at the arc of history, and there are a lot of sociologists and, and historians, and, and some of them atheists, are, are talking about something called the moral arc. That is the bending of history towards justice. That we, we, we don't tolerate holocausts and genocides. We don't tolerate slavery and oppression. Does it still exist? Absolutely. Um, we, we think in some ways it exists here in our country. We still wrestle with those things. <clears throat> and fair enough, but if you were to look outside our borders at some parts of the world, you will see it far, far worse. Places where it may even still be accepted. But the general sense in our world is that we don't accept these things anymore. So love is winning, and love will continue to win as long as we love. And that's how God works, and that's how Jesus works. Um, <clears throat> the revelator is called away from the throne room of God to see what is about to be unleashed on earth. And th these are the things he writes about, these horses um, and these, these uh, men that sit on top of these horses armed in some way with something. When we read about these horses, it's important to note this is not the first time we see it described that way. In fact, uh, let's, let's do a, a little walking through our Bibles, shall we, to Zechariah, the prophet. Uh, the prophets are full of um, things like this, uh, Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah. But let's go to Zechariah. And in Zechariah chapter 1, 
verse 8. Let's begin there. I saw at night, and behold, a man was riding on a red horse, and he was standing among the myrtle trees, uh, which were in the ravine, with red, sorrel, and white horses behind him. Then I said, My Lord, what are these? And the angel who was speaking with me said to me, I will show you what these are. And the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and quiet. So Zechariah saw these horses patrolling the earth, going out. If you move forward in Zechariah's prophecy to chapter 6, verse 1, uh, now I lifted up my eyes again and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming forth from between the two mountains, and the mountains were bronze mountains. With, um, with the first chariot were red horses, and the second chariot black horses, and the third chariot white horses, and with the fourth chariot strong dappled horses. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth. With, uh, with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country and the white ones go forth after them while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go patrol the earth and he said, go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Then he cried out and spoke to me saying, see, those who are going to the land of the north have appeased my wrath in the land of the north. Wow. We're not alone. We are not alone in this world. We're not alone, and not everything out, out there likes us, um, but uh, we're not alone. There are things going on around us spiritually that we don't see. They exist on a different plane, in a different realm. Uh, we will see it one day. We will have that ability. But right now, we have the glimpses that God provides through prophets and through revelation. And we see these horses going on patrol. God sends these things out. They, they go forth. And notice here... Um, the, the, the question is not, is this real? These are real. These things are going on. The question is, what does that mean for us? I think, I think really the message is we're not meant to survive this world. I don't mean that we'll all meet some violent end, but, but this world is temporary. It's not going to last forever. There are things we can't see that are beyond what we are able to understand. We're not meant to survive this world. The question is, how will we conduct ourselves while we are on this world, in the midst of these angels as they work amongst us. Well, what Zechariah, and, and notice here it says, appeased my wrath. Um, that's kind of a scary thought. Appeased my wrath. Um, has satisfied the wrath um, of the angel of the Lord or of God. Um, there are things at work around us that we don't see and we don't understand. Let's go back to Revelation. Let's begin breaking down these horses and their riders. Um, so we see that the, these four horses and their description, we see those in other places. Uh, Zechariah definitely mentions it. And in, in, in here in the first one, there is some debate about who this first uh, rider is. Because only the fourth rider is named. That's death. The first rider, not named, but we have some description. If you go to Revelation chapter 19, and we won't go there because we'll get to that in a few weeks, but when we go to Revelation chapter 19, 
we will see that there is a rider on a horse who is described much the same way, and it is very evident, and there is little to no doubt we're talking about Jesus. He is the rider on that horse. There is some debate, it's probably about a 50-50 split among scholars, who this first rider is. Some say the Antichrist, and they have pretty good reasons for thinking that. Some say it is Jesus himself, and they have some very good reasons for thinking that. I believe it's Jesus, and I believe it's Jesus because of the description in chapter 19. I believe those things line up. So we're going to go with that, understanding that there is some debate, and so be cautious. But uh, I believe it's Jesus, and, and I believe it's Jesus because of the description and uh, what that he is conquering and to conquer. Um, some view that as evidence of the Antichrist. I see it as evidence of Christ because he is the conqueror. He wins the victory. Uh, notice that he's given a bow. Um, he's given a bow, and that's important because bows as weapons were revolutionary in battle. Uh, bows have distance. You have a sword in your hand. You have to get in close to attack, but a bow can reach out. This is Jesus reaching out into the earth. He conquers all. He reaches every corner and conquers. And where there is wrongdoing and where there is injustice and suffering, Jesus can reach you there. Where there is sin, Jesus can reach there. And he can overcome. And he goes out uh, conquering and to conquer. The second seal, when he broke the second seal, uh, the living creature says, Come, it's a red horse this time. No name is given. And uh, it was granted him uh, to take peace from the earth and that men would slay one another with a great sword that was given him. Swords are deadly weapons. Uh, they were often used by, by Rome. They were a part of their um, standard issue, if you will, shorter swords, almost like daggers that we would call them, that they used to uh, take, play, take uh, part in combat in close proximity. Notice war, and then from verses 5 uh, through, uh, through 6, we see that there is going to be poverty. So I think this is interesting to point out, and I want to uh, mention this. Persecution, persecution is coming to these people. But persecution does not always come in the form of death, and it does not come always in the form of killing. Persecution comes sometimes in the form of poverty. Persecution sometimes comes in the form of displacement. And look at how this is described. We have death down there in the beginning in verse 7, but we've got war and famine. Um, how many Christians were actually killed by the Roman government? Uh, probably in the hundreds of thousands, I would imagine. But there were several hundred thousand more killed. I mean, th those are the ones that are put to death. But how many more were probably killed or died as the result of the onerous restrictions that the government placed on and the, the, um, the, the persecution and discrimination against people of faith? Remember, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is God. If you did not recognize Caesar as God, even if you recognize the one true God as your God, you were considered an atheist. If you did not recognize Caesar as God, you were considered an atheist because you didn't believe in anything else. Or you, you, even if you believed in something else, it wasn't their God. So uh, this created a situation, as we talked about in previous chapters, where those who were faithful to the Lord and those who claimed faithfulness to the Lord and refused to acknowledge Caesar as God, they were persecuted and discriminated against. They worked and worked and worked to, um, to provide for their families and to survive and to try and uh, find sustenance. 
and they didn't have enough money to buy food. They worked and they were paid less. They weren't allowed to go to the market and buy things because they were Christians. They believed in a God that was not Caesar and therefore they were atheists. So when we see this uh, pair of scales and the crying out about the cost of food and the cost of oil and wine, and that would have been medicine, that's what they considered medicine, we see here that there is a persecution coming your way that involves the restriction of you being able to get what you need for survival. Now, this isn't being put to death by the government for your faith. This is being marginalized to the point of suffering for your faith. And hundreds of thousands of people died because they didn't have access to the things that everyone else had access to. Many were displaced. Many were driven from their homes, driven from the places they live to try and eke out some kind of sustenance elsewhere, and many were unable to do so. Persecution can come so many ways, by displacement, by uh, persecution, by, excuse me, by discrimination, and by, by uh, starvation, and, and the restriction of access. And so that's what happens here. Um, we see that the, the death, and I'll lump that in here as well, is a form of persecution. It is a form of uh, a way that Christians were dealt with. But you can be killed a lot of different ways. You can be killed through uh, the killing of your reputation. You can be killed, as we talked about, with displacement and with restriction. Uh, death was coming to them. Death is coming to all of us. We are not going to live forever. We're not going to survive this world uh, unless Christ returns while we're still here. But, but even then, we're not here for this world. We're here for something else. We look at these four horsemen, and we try to figure out what do they mean, what do the colors mean, who's riding, what are, what are these things, and we put labels on them. But again, these were warnings to the people that this was written to, that you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer, and you might die. But Jesus is still the conqueror. Jesus is still uh, reaching out with that bow to hit all parts of the world, to win the victory win the victory. Let's look at the fifth seal now, verse 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants, excuse me, the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also. Um, I do want to back up because I skipped over something here. Back to death. Uh, he says their authority was given, uh, this is in verse 8, into verse 8. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Um, we try to make too much of that and say, well, 25%. 25% of the earth is going to die because of, um, because of this death through pestilence and through uh, killing um, we look at that quantitatively. The first century Jew would have looked at that qualitatively. All right, A quarter just meant enough to disrupt. Let's think about something very timely, COVID. When COVID first introduced, was introduced uh, in our world, we had two weeks to flatten the curve, right? We stayed home, we locked everything down. Now, right now we've had... Um, I don't know the, the number of, of deaths exactly, but I think we've topped the million mark. Um, and almost 90% of those deaths have been in people over the age of 70 
with multiple comorbidities or pre-existing conditions. We know that. And yet, uh, in some places, it's happening again. We're locking down. Uh, 330 million people in this country locked down. Uh, and we now know that there are certain markers for who is at risk, but we did it anyway. And there was great fear. Remember early on, you might have been afraid to be around other people or go out to do things. There were no concerts. There were no gatherings. Uh, it was disruptive. And yet the, those who died were very limited in number and in scope. Can you imagine if it had been 25% of people dropping dead, like, like what has happened in Europe in, in, uh, in history with plagues and things like that? Um, this number is not meant to convey uh, a literal number because even for us with, with COVID, uh, which had a very low mortality rate and is very stratified amongst age and other, other comorbidities, it was still disruptive. It's still disruptive to us. Uh, and so that this is the power of evil over the land. Okay, enough of that. Now let's move on to the martyrs. Look who's closest to the throne. Look who is closest to the throne. Uh, un, beneath the altar, uh, there, there are these people, these souls, the martyrs. Those who die for their faith have a place close to God, uh, close to, to Jesus, to the Lamb. And they are there to be given rest, to wait until the time is right. They're following the most difficult order that can ever be given, whether it's to a dog or to a soldier, and that is to stay, to stay. There are times where we want to move. There are times where we want to act, and there are times where we want God to act. But we must follow the command and stay where we are. Stand down. Let God move in his time. And, and he certainly will. Verse 12. I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. Ever been in an orchard? When it gets windy, you hear the, th 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 the thuds. Uh, that, that's what he's trying to convey. This is the imagery here. Uh, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Then the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the commanders, and the rich and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? All right. We're going to wrap this up here shortly. But this sixth seal that's broken, it might be the most terrifying of the imagery. We have stars falling out of the sky. We have uh, sun and moon being affected and becoming red and black and, and all of these things. And then uh, stars falling, skies splitting apart, mountains and islands being moved. Um, the, the message here is not, is not literal. Um, it's not about the, the stars and the moon and the sun, literally. Um, it's about what those things mean. It's about the fact that there is this whole universe out there. And the power of God is so great. And when God decides to move, he's going to move. When you look at the world around you, you might feel insignificant. Um, because there are people more powerful than you. There are kings and there are nations and there are warriors. 
We even do this stuff. By the way, that, that would have been represented by sun, moon, and stars. Okay, The sun, moon, and stars were used to represent gods and goddesses and kings and emperors. And so that's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with the powers and principalities of this earth. And he's saying there's going to come a time where they're all going to be going to be cut down, going to be thrown to the ground, and going to be um, going to be ended. And the question is, well, who in that time will be able to stand? Who in that time will still be standing? We still do this today, by the way, uh, when we talk about celebrities, athletes, actors, and actresses. We call them stars, right? Uh, that part of the language has kind of carried carried forth. Uh, the stars don't matter. Now, I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just saying that the star, those things that seem bigger than you, they don't matter. They don't know you're around. Um, they, they, they don't have power over you. Those things that seem great by our standards and by the world's standards will one day be cast down by God because there is no king, there is no politician, there is no celebrity, there is no power, uh, no army that can surpass the great strength of God, and none that can overcome this world like God can. Don't put your faith in them. Don't give your allegiance to them. Give your allegiance to Jesus Christ and to the one who sits on the throne because there will come a day when that wrath will be shown. The stars, the moon, the sun will be cast down. The powers of this world will be destroyed, and we will be left to stand. We will be made to stand because God gives us the strength to stand. Look at the martyrs that are gathered around the throne, the ones given rest until the time is right. This is a continued book of worship and of praise and of love as we see some things that are to come. And it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful for the people who are reading it and hearing it. And God says through John the Revelator, I'm here and I will bring forth a victory. So that's chapter 6. Chapter 7 is going to get even crazier. So uh, be mindful of our approach to this and the way we're going to focus on these, these words and these verses. Uh, and join us for that next time. Thank you so much.